Good afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Lower and Outer Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. In this week's edition, Beth Dunn has stories about dredging and housing in Wellfleet, as well as a new home for the Homeless Prevention Council in Orleans. I've got stories about a new business and an expanding one in Brewster, as well as a story about improvements to the Chatham waterfront. Will David is here with his exclusive WOMR Weekend Weather Outlook, and Ira Wood has a matter of opinion that affordable dying is the new affordable living. After 23 years, the Homeless Prevention Council has left its location on Old Tote Road in Orleans and moved to a new office at 8 Main Street. The council's former office will soon turn into year-round housing. CEO Hadley Luddy said the council had outgrown its old space as services to clients had increased by 70 percent since the pandemic. Luddy said that with growing community needs and an expanding staff, the organization needed a better facility. Although the council looked at renovating the old Tote Road building, buying the new location turned out to be dramatically less expensive. The organization moved into its new location in April. They bought the building for $1.15 million and closed the deal in December. With some minor upgrades and construction, the new space meets the organization's needs for greater visibility and a safer and larger workspace. While the old Tote Road building was unable to accommodate gatherings, the nonprofit has already been able to host two gatherings in the new location to celebrate the REACH program, a skill development and wellness program that has just ended its fifth year. The building on Main Street once housed the Pike Insurance Agency. More recently, it was home to two local attorneys and an insurance agency. Luddy said that the building is still able to accommodate those tenants, and they've simply moved upstairs. A local restaurant owner bought the old Tote Road building to create several new apartments to go with the one deed-restricted affordable rental that is already on the first floor. The Wellfleet Select Board unanimously agreed this week to support a mitigation plan required by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers that will enable the town to receive a permit for dredging the harbor mooring basin. The board authorized the Shellfish Department to dedicate 28 acres of Blackfish Creek for oyster restoration, pending clarification from the Corps and the approval of town council. The move came after months of negotiations among the board, the town's dredging task force, and the Army Corps in a rush to execute a dredging contract before a $2.5 million state grant expires on June 30th. With two bids submitted to the town, Dredging Task Force Chair Chris Algier said the town is on track to meet the deadline for the grant. 
Concerns about potential liability associated with the mitigation plan arose after an investigation by the Provincetown Independent revealed that Wellfleet could be subject to a $4.5 million fine if it fails to meet the goals set forth in the plan. The mitigation plan is designed to encourage the repopulation of oysters in Blackfish Creek. The plan stipulates that oyster density must reach 25 per square meter and that the area must see an increase in biodiversity and water quality improvement that would be classified as excellent under the EPA's water quality standards. Algier told the select board on May 30th that the Corps agreed that if the plan falls out of compliance, the Corps will work with the town to amend its mitigation plan for success rather than imposing the fee. According to Kurt Felix, a member of the dredging task force, there's little risk of penalties for falling out of compliance with the mitigation plan and that any ramifications would be a result of the town blatantly deciding not to honor its agreement. The town's consultant for the project said that the town could receive a permit in a matter of weeks once the final mitigation plan is submitted. Dredging of the mooring field will take place from October 1st to December 31st in 2023 and 24 if the select board signs off on the permit. Bids on a master plan for housing at Maurice's campground in Wellfleet were supposed to be due on June 21st, and interest in the project was strong. But the committee charged with overseeing the creation of affordable housing at the 21-acre site withdrew its request for proposals on the master plan on May 24th because the town lacks the staff needed to move the work forward. Rebecca Ruffley, the assistant town administrator and procurement officer for contracted projects, submitted her resignation on May 12th, according to town administrator Rich Waldo. He said her last day will be June 30th. Her resignation follows those of health agent Hillary Lemos-Greenberg and building commissioner James Badera. These departures, combined with the failure of a proposed housing coordinator position at the town election on May 1st, leave Wellfleet without key personnel needed to proceed with the planning phase of the housing project, according to Maurice's planning committee and select board chair Ryan Curley. Curley said that some 30 packages detailing the proposal requirements had been requested by contractors so far. The decision to withdraw the RFP came only a week before a planned June 1st site walk. A funding delay had also thrown a wrench into the committee's schedule. The $50,000 appropriated at this year's town meeting for planning and development of the site is not enough to cover the cost of the master plan. Curley estimated that the total cost of planning will be $150,000 to $200,000. And he said the committee expects the town will receive county ARPA funds to cover the difference. Wellfleet's application for the ARPA funds is not yet complete, and state law mandates that all available funds must be appropriated before a contract can be executed. Town Administrator Waldo said he had submitted a revised application with all required documentation on May 12th, and he expects the town will hear back from the county within a month. At the May 24th planning committee meeting, members proposed alternative funding solutions should the revised ARPA application not be approved. But it seems that the bigger issue is the lack of town staff to support the process. 
Member Sharon Rule Agger told the committee that housing advocates are discussing bringing back the housing coordinator position at this fall's special town meeting after the position lost by just 17 votes at the election. According to Curley's press release, the planning committee hopes to reissue the RFP in the fall after the special town meeting once staffing and funding issues have been resolved. Truro Select Board has joined the Provincetown Select Board in objecting to the request for proposals that the National Park Service issued on May 1st to invite bids on 10-year leases for eight of the 18 dune shacks in the Peaked Hill Bars Historic District. As the Independent reported on May 11th, the Park Service's RFP ignores a years-long public process and the agency's own signed agreements from 2012. On May 22nd, Provincetown asked the seashore to suspend the RFP, to redefine it, to include the 2012 agreement, and to remove the option of bidding up the rental amount. The select board also asked the seashore to reevaluate the impact of unprecedented seasonal restrictions that limit the occupancy of the dune shacks to the period between Memorial Day and Labor Day. On May 23rd, the Truro Select Board authorized the writing of a similar letter. The deadline for bidders is July 3rd. Because of the short time frame, the Truro Select Board authorized members Bob Weinstein and Stephanie Ryan to write and send a letter on behalf of the whole board without waiting for the board's next meeting on June 13th. The objections are not about whether the Park Service should offer long-term leases on the shacks, but about how it should be done. The Dune Shack Subcommittee of the Cape Cod National Seashore Advisory Commission recommendations were formalized in the Park Service's official Dune Shack Historic District Preservation and Use Plan in 2012. The use plan added five selection criteria to the Park Service's standard leasing terms. They include knowledge of the surrounding environment, capacity to perform maintenance, commitment to public access, commitment to the values of the historic district and the continuation of tradition, and availability and intent to use the shack. The plan also endorsed 20-year leases and the possibility of hybrid uses in which dune shack leaseholders could allow artist-in-residence programs in the winter. None of those terms are in the current RFP. The Payomet Performing Arts Center is poised to present another season at the tent in Tr North Truro, and it kicks off this Saturday with a Fiesta Latina. Fiesta Latina celebrates the history, diversity, and depth of Latin American music with world-class artists and educational programs at Provincetown IB schools featuring artists from Cuba, Venezuela, and Puerto Rico via Mexico and the Dominican Republic. The event is part of Payamet's Open Arms to Open Arts concert series that seeks to bring music, language, and the culture of different lands and indigenous peoples into performance spaces on Cape Cod, from the Big Top Tent to community centers and schools, fostering meaningful engagement between audiences and artists. For more information and to buy tickets, you can visit payamet.org. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn.
East Ham Police arrested a man Monday afternoon after a standoff that lasted more than five hours. The man was charged with violation of an abuse prevention order and threats to commit murder. Police sent out a press release that said the man was reported to be at a residence on Massasoit Road around 9.30 a.m. He was not supposed to be at that residence under a protective order. The release also said that the man threatened to kill someone in the home. Due to past interactions with the suspect, including violent encounters with the police, the decision was made to set up a perimeter surveillance and request more officers to the scene to assist. Police said they tried several ways to contact the man without success and that the Cape Cod Regional Law Enforcement SWAT team arrived around noon. The team went into the house and eventually sent a police dog into the attic where the suspect was bitten. He was arrested at about 2.45 p.m. and given medical treatment. An exceptionally close election result in Brewster got a smidge closer following a recount Wednesday morning, but the outcome remained unchanged with the re-election of select board incumbent Ned Chatelaine. The recount was sought by select board candidate Laurel Labden, who came in just six votes behind Chatelaine in the May 16th town election. After the recount, Chatelaine's lead was reduced to five votes. While Chatelaine and Labden looked on, a crew of 12 out-of-town volunteers, six Brewster election officers, and three town employees from other departments spent nearly three hours recounting by hand the 2,512 ballots originally cast via automated ballot machines. The last time there was a petitioned recount in Brewster was 2019, when voters passed a $309,000 general override by just one vote. That override produced permanent funding for four town positions, a Council on Aging program coordinator, a natural resource officer, and two firefighter paramedics whose positions were previously supported by a federal grant. After the 2019 recount, the difference was still one vote. The Brewster Select Board on May 22nd approved an amended host community agreement with Cape Cod Grow Lab, which is close to opening a cannabis cultivation facility pending an inspection and final license from the State Cannabis Control Commission. Burning Grinder LLC plans to run a cannabis cultivation operation at 95 Alexandra Ave, formerly 1399 Freeman's Way in Brewster, and later build an adjacent manufacturing facility. The Grow Lab has received all of its municipal permits and inspections, as well as a certificate of occupancy, according to Building Commissioner Davis Walters. An agreement with the town was signed several years ago, according to town manager Peter Lombardi. However, going through permitting, development, and the pandemic, the Grow Labs officially changed its address. As a result, Town Council put together a straightforward amendment that clarified the discrepancy. Select board members and town officials toured the facility earlier this spring. Cape Cod Grow Lab plans to offer public tours once the facility is fully open and supplying local dispensaries.
The lab will pay the town 3% of sales after its first year in business. Co-owner Chris Diaz said he and his three partners together have invested about $5 million in automated equipment and another $1.3 million for the construction of the warehouse. 22 years ago, Diaz started Specialty Builders Supply One Source, a home building supply firm in Brewster, now serving Greater Boston and Cape and Islands builders, designers, and architects. Burning Grinder plans to hold a job fair in July, and the building should be complete in August, according to Diaz, who runs a lumber yard next door. Latham Centers plan a summer groundbreaking for a new community center along Route 6A at the site of the former New England Fire and History Museum in Brewster. Established in 1970, the internationally recognized human services organization specializes in Prader-Willi syndrome, a rare genetic disorder characterized by chronic overeating. The organization treats about 80 children and 90 adults, some of whom live on site in Brewster. Others live in 11 group homes between Plymouth and Wareham. Heather Kelsey, Latham Center's Vice President of Advancement said the project will create a little more breathing room at the only residential program in the U.S. that offers treatment for children and adults. Once the building permit is secured, the groundbreaking will be scheduled. It will mark the culmination of Ann McManus's 25-year career as Latham Center's CEO as she plans to retire later this month. Once completed, the community center will serve the residents who live in the two dorms in Brewster, as well as group home occupants and community members who will be invited to share access to the facility's gym, recreational programs, and special events space. Two of three buildings currently on the site will be renovated and one torn down. The community center will provide space for training, physical fitness, concerts, performances by the Latham players, and more. McManus said the project was the result of 12 years of work that saw cost increases due to pandemic-related inflation and supply chain issues, among other challenges. She said the total project cost is approximately $9 million. After years of planning, work is underway to renovate the campus at Nauset Regional High School in Eastham. Tom Ferris, a member of the Nauset Regional High School Building Committee, told the Nauset Regional School Committee May 25th that a groundbreaking ceremony is planned for June 14th. Ferris said foundations have been poured for the school's new E-building as well as the new auditorium. There will also be a topping-off ceremony later this summer commemorating construction of the new auditorium, the peaked roof of which represents the highest point of the renovation project. That ceremony will likely be held sometime in August. Chatham officials are worried that without some intervention, fishermen will find themselves waiting in line for hours to unload the day's catch. The packing house at the Municipal Fish Pier has space for two companies to operate, but when one of the two fish buyers departed last year, fishermen were lined up to unload with Red's Best Seafood in the North Bay.
The South Bay remains empty as commercial fishing ramps up for the season. Harbormaster Stuart Smith said last year boats were stacked up waiting to get offloaded. He has proposed allowing fishermen to use the South Bay to unload their own fish to their own trucks or buyers of their choice, as is currently done on the outdoor dock at the Fishbeer's South Jog. Smith told the select board that he's making the proposal only after the town was unable to find a new fish packer to lease the South Bay. Given the low price of fish, buyers are finding it difficult to justify the capital expenses needed to invest in that building, namely ice machines and forklifts. One potential vendor also had trouble identifying staff, reflecting the labor shortage that every business is facing. While the harbormaster said he would still prefer to lease the space to a company, it makes sense to give fishermen the option to use the space to ease the unloading crunch. Smith proposed spending about $20,000 from the waterway's user fee fund to install two fish hoists for fishermen to use. Select board member Shireen Davis said she was willing to view the project as a pilot program to see if it works, and the opportunity to add value to the fishing fleet was a benefit. Davis suggested having staff provide a progress report to the board in October. Smith said for the plan to be successful, the equipment needs to be installed as soon as possible, and any delays could mean that the hoists are unavailable during the time they're most needed. Health and Natural Resources Director Robert Duncanson said he would notify the water committees and invite them to hold special meetings to consider the proposal in the next week or two. With that, the select board unanimously authorized the pilot program. Seeing a need to invest in the town's landings and waterfront infrastructure, Chatham Town Meeting in 2017 voted to authorize an $11.3 million bond to fund a slate of overdue projects. Today, a number of major jobs have been completed, and two-thirds of the borrowing authorization has been spent, despite the fact that other big projects remain in the pipeline. On May 16th, Health and Natural Resources Director Duncanson updated the select board on the program, saying renovation of the fish pier is nearing completion. Now, with a new observation deck, the fish pier also sports a new bulkhead at the South Jog, which is in the final stages of construction. A new deck and stairway is being installed next to the office, and crews are adding a sidewalk along Barcliff Ave Extension to allow people with strollers and wheelchairs to access the lower parking lot. Major work is ongoing at Stage Harbor, with the commercial fish unloading building being completed now and plans in place for a new upweller facility. The project will support the town's shell fishery with the new upweller and will provide additional public access to the waterfront. Another project on the list involves improvements at Riders Cove Landing with a new bulkhead, improvements to the boat ramp, a small system of floats, and a dinghy storage area. Work was paused to focus resources on the other major projects, but the improvements are about 90% designed, according to Duncanson. In Provincetown, according to the town manager's report to the select board on May 22nd, 
During the first weekend of expanded early morning and late night bus service between Provincetown and East Ham, the four additional trips that were added for May 5th, 6th, and 7th served 20 riders. The following weekend, the extra 12 bus trips served 19 riders. On May 22nd, the early morning and late night buses began running seven days a week. The town has asked local businesses to help get the word out to their employees about the expanded service hours. We reported last week that the new Orleans Recreation Director resigned after just three weeks on the job, leaving town officials scrambling to organize the upcoming summer programs. We're now happy to say that registration for summer youth recreation programming opened Tuesday for Orleans residents. Registration for non-residents will open on June 12th. Families can sign up for half-day programming at Orleans Elementary School and Nauset Regional Middle School, swim lessons, tennis lessons, and girls' lacrosse clinics. Registration for adult programs, including early bird fitness, round-robin pickleball, and instructional tennis, is also open for residents and non-residents. For more information or to register, you can visit orleansma.myrec.com. For Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. This is meteorologist Will David with your weekly weather watch and temperature trend for the Outer Cape. I hope you enjoyed our preview of summer because a major, and I do mean major, pattern change is knocking on the door. A strong backdoor cold front will spawn numerous showers and thunderstorms, some with torrential downpours later this evening and overnight. Following the front, a much colder air mass and an onshore flow will overspread the Outer Cape as a traffic jam develops in the upper levels of the atmosphere. A cold upper-level low will meander over the Gulf of Maine, and with the flip of a switch, the weekend will feel more like early April than early June, with chilly winds, along with scattered showers, and even periods of drizzle. Even if this cold upper-low drifts eastward on Monday, as some models are indicating, another reinforcing low will drop south from Quebec with another backdoor front and more rain along with very chilly northeast winds. This unseasonably cool weather pattern will not only linger through next week, but also may have legs through the middle of the month. I don't see any summer-like signals with above average temperatures for the Northeast and the Outer Cape for at least the next two weeks. Elsewhere across the nation, the abrupt and colder pattern will envelop most of the Eastern third of the nation with temperatures up to 15 or 20 degrees below average on a daily basis from the northeast to the Gulf Coast. Meanwhile, the tropical depression in the Gulf of Mexico, which could still briefly become Tropical Storm Arlene, will bring gusty winds, heavy showers, and thunderstorms to parts of the Northeast Gulf and much of the Florida Peninsula over the weekend. The northern tier states will be unseasonably warm with scattered strong thunderstorms and large hail from Montana to West Texas. And finally, some coastal cities across the U.S. are sinking. Some of the sinking is natural, but much of it may be caused by the extraction of groundwater, oil, and other minerals. 
In many of the cities, the rate of sinking is two-thirds of an inch per year. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but it's faster than sea levels are rising. So both the sinking land and the sea level rise are combining to further increase the risk of flooding. And this doesn't even take into account any storms or hurricanes. Some of the many sinking hotspots around the U.S. include Houston, New Orleans, New York City, and Norfolk, Virginia. Now my exclusive WOMR weekend weather forecast for the Outer Cape. This afternoon, partly to mostly sunny and unseasonably warm, highs around 75. Tonight, becoming cloudy with showers and thunderstorms likely. Heavy rainfall possible, lows around 55. Saturday, windy and much cooler with showers likely mainly during the morning. Steady or slowly falling temperatures through the 50s. Sunday, breezy and unseasonably cool with scattered showers. Highs around 55. As always, stay safe and informed by keeping an eye to the sky and an ear to the radio. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I'm Weather Will. So, what do you want first, the good news or the bad news? I'm referring to two articles that appeared in the newspapers recently, both focusing on the realities of present-day Cape Cod. Since I always take the bad news first, I'll start there. And although it was terrible, it was also nothing out of the ordinary, except that it appeared not in a local paper, but in the New York Times. The story reported on the near-impossible struggle of hard-working people to find permanent year-round housing. Nothing new here, except that it did put a few more personal faces on the stories of long-time residents paying high rents who are being evicted by property owners who can't resist the opportunity to charge astronomical rents. This was not about blame, by the way. It was about a question a lot of Cape Cod landlords have to ask themselves these days as the American economy enters its late cycle expansion phase with a rising likelihood of recession. Do you want to be a charitable person or a wealthy one? The other article was actually hopeful, if somewhat morbid by comparison. It focused not on the way we choose to live on Cape Cod, but the way we choose to be buried. That is, according to the Cape Cod Times, the town of Barnstable is now considering green burials, a form of interment which allows a body to decompose naturally using only biodegradable materials. The contrast between the two stories is an example of what might be considered a sad contradiction in the way we live out here. That is, succeeding in protecting the environment at the same time as we're failing to help the working people who live in it. At my wife's instigation, we've been studying green burials for years. We've even bought our plot 
a shady hillside in a small cemetery in South Wellfleet that encourages them. Because really, who wants to have their bodies placed on a stainless steel slab in a mortuary, disinfected and shaved, eyeballs glued open and jaw wired shut, blood drained, arteries pumped with formaldehyde? Who wants their dear ones to pay for an ornate casket and a concrete burial liner for the grave? Better to enter the earth in a simple box made of cardboard or bamboo, no? Or dressed in a mushroom spore burial suit. Of course, we've considered cremation, but it has an enormous carbon footprint. Before we understood the problem, we even scattered relatives' ashes in our rose beds. But the thing about scattering ashes is the elements, and I've always hated to think of mom leaching into the Title V septic system. And really, there's nothing like an artfully landscaped gravesite to visit, is there? To leave a bouquet, to sit in front of and share memories over a bottle of wine. And now that Cape Codders are adopting green burials, there's no need to buy special insurance. Over the last 30 years, funeral expenses have risen over 200%. Today, the average cost of a casket and all the related fees is about $9,000. Talk about burying working people in debt. For sure... Having to be dead in order to be guaranteed a permanent place to call your own on Cape Cod is not the optimum solution. But I choose to focus on the positive. Only the affluent may be able to buy a house or rent a year-round apartment out here, but almost anyone of any economic status can afford a three-and-a-half by eight-foot plot of earth it's not only democratic, it's environmentally friendly and sustainable. And that is good news, don't you think? Or at least progress. We may not be able to have affordable living out here, but at least now we have affordable dying. I'm Ira Wood, and that's my opinion. <music> And that does it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn, Will David, and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Henry and Jane Fisher and Jacob Greenberg for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. And now stay tuned for Friday Afternoon Jazz with guest host Braintree Jim. Here on listener-supported Outermost Community Radio. WLMR.